Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Grass withers, the flower fades. Word of our God stands forever. So today as we gather on Palm Sunday, we are looking at the event that traditionally starts off Holy Week. It's called Palm Sunday because as we read from our text, was Jesus is entering Jerusalem, the crowd not only takes their cloaks and throws them down on the ground for Jesus on his colt, on his donkey to walk over, they also cut off branches from the nearby trees, palms, and lay them down as well for Jesus to march in and his triumphant entry is what this is often called, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. It takes place just one week before Jesus is going to die as a substitute for sinners on the cross. We have this very interesting dichotomy, this very interesting um, two events going on of Jesus triumphant, triumphantly coming into Jerusalem, but before the week is over, this one that is sung about as he enters is going to die a criminal's death on a cross. So Jesus, here he is marching in. This is the last visit Jesus will make to Jerusalem. This is his last time he is going to show up his earthly life into Jerusalem. He's been here before. Jesus has come and he's shown up at Jerusalem and other times, uh, obviously through his childhood, right? We read in the in the uh, infancy narratives there in Luke of them going to the temple to have him circumcised and he visits there. You remember the story of when he's however old he shows up to the temple and um, he's there he Mary and Joseph go home and Jesus stays behind and he's there talking with the authorities with the teachers at the temple Jesus has been to Jerusalem many times and as he starts his ministry Jesus off Jesus often sneaks into Jerusalem so we have this weird story in John chapter 7 where his brothers are saying to him we're going to the feast uh, why don't you come along with us and since you're this He'd started his ministry, was getting lots of crowds showing up. And they said, if you're the Messiah, if you're the God, why don't you come with us? Let's go to Jerusalem. And Jesus, 
you know, says, go on ahead, I'm going to stay here. And then he enters into Jerusalem privately. He, he kind of comes in quietly and causes a big stir, of course, because he's there. But Jesus has shown up many times at Jerusalem, but he's always come in quietly. Well, not this time. This time, as Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the fanfare explodes and he welcomes it. He allows it. He goes, sends his disciples to go get this donkey, this young foal, this young, uh, this young donkey, and he rides on it into Jerusalem. The question often comes up, if you read through your Gospels, if you ever study through a Gospel with a group, the question will come up about why does Jesus want everyone to keep silent all the time? Do you know that? You've, have you noticed that happening in the Gospels? He'll go and heal somebody and then he'll say, now listen, you just quietly go to the authorities. When he cleanses the leper there in Luke, he says, just go to the authorities, get officially cleansed, but just go home to your people. Just go home. Don't make a big fanfare. And he, he, he constantly is saying to the people, keep quiet. It's not my time. The time has not yet come. And for several years of Jesus' ministry, he has wanted people to keep quiet about this, his identity. He was not ready to come into the fulfillment of his purpose. Well, now we see with the triumphal entry, Jesus is finally no longer telling people to be quiet. He's now okay. Here I am. Here is the Messiah. I am entering Jerusalem. Go ahead, shout Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Finally, the king is going to be revealed. He's no longer quiet. He's no longer intentionally um, keeping quiet. He's intentionally setting up this event by riding in on a donkey. The king is going to be revealed. And the imagery here is very strong. Um, there's a couple other places. Second Kings chapter 9, if I'll look at it later, but King Jehu is one of these kings that in 2 Kings chapter 9, who enters into the temple. He has gotten rid of the enemies and he enters into Jerusalem. And what they do is they throw down their cloaks. They put their cloaks down on this road. So there's a history here in Judaism of putting these cloaks down on the road as the king is entering into his rule. He's entering into Jerusalem. King Jehu in 2 Kings chapter 9 rides over top of these cloaks. And it's not in our on our uh, Protestant Bible, but the historical book of 1 Maccabees, which is, in a, which is an apocryphal book, um, but it's a history book. It's not divinely inspired by God, but it is a history book, has a record of Simon, who is one of the guys that comes along and kicks out the enemies of the Jewish people, and he enters into the city, and they lower down palm branches as this king, this Simon, this ruler, enters into his official place. So there's this rich history in Judaism of the king entering Jerusalem, laying cloaks down, laying palm branches down. And here is finally the king, the Messiah, the son of David, entering Jerusalem, and they're laying their cloaks and their palm branches, palm branches down for him. If you're still in Matthew, you go back a couple of books. So just Malachi is the last book of your Old Testament. And then you go to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It's this many pages in your Bible, but it's 550 years of difference. About 550 years, give or take a few, from Matthew 21 to Zechariah 9. This is what the prophet Zechariah says. 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. 550 years before this messianic entrance, this triumphal entry, the prophet Zechariah tells the people, this king, this king, this one bringing salvation, righteous and having salvation as he, is going to enter into Jerusalem riding on this donkey. Why a donkey? Well, it's a fine question. Why in the world, who would choose to ride on a donkey? And no one would choose to ride on a donkey. But typical of this time, if you're going to come into a city, if you're, you've just, your inauguration, like we know what, I mean, inauguration celebrations are still a big deal today, right? Whenever we get a new president or a new officer, or you look over and there's some new monarchy that gets involved or gets celebrated, a new marriage or something, there's all sorts of pomp and circumstance celebrating this new inauguration. And Jesus shows up, and what you would normally have is like a big show of power, a big celebration. And normally, Alexander the Great didn't ride around on donkeys. He rode around on giant war horses, right? You get a big, white, noble steed, right? And that's how you'd enter the city. You, you rode in letting people know, I'm in charge. That's how a king comes in. I'm the top dog. I'm the big deal. We're going to get stuff done. That's how you'd expect a king to enter. Jesus shows up and he rides a donkey. Jesus shows up, according to prophecy, yes, but he shows up and he rides this humble beast. What kind of a king rides on a donkey? What kind of a king? And I actually titled this sermon this morning, A Different Kind of King, because that's what we find with Jesus. He's this triumphal entry. He's coming in. And what we find in Jesus is a different kind of king. We find out from the rest of the week, Jesus is not the kind of king they were looking for. They had plenty of problems there in Jerusalem. They wanted a king. They had plenty of things they wanted solved. They had foreign oppressors. They had to pay taxes to an immoral government. They were persecuted. They had many things, long lists of projects that they would like a king to show up and solve for them. Mainly, let's get rid of these Romans. Let's get rid of these oppressors. But Jesus shows up. The king is here and he does something different. Jesus does not turn out to be the king that they thought they wanted. He turns out to be the king that they needed. One commentator says this, He did not come to make war with Rome. He came to make peace with God for men. He did not come into the world to make war with Rome on behalf of the Jews, but to make peace with God. He came as one offering peace. You see, you have to take Jesus for who he is, not for who you want him to be. He does not come to make war with Rome. 
He came to make peace with God for men. The king shows up. Everyone's excited. Finally, our king is here. Finally, the problems that we have that we want to get fixed are going to get solved. And they find out Jesus is a different kind of king than what they thought. And he doesn't deliver what they want, what they were expecting. He delivers, and this king brings what they really, truly need. Jesus rides in and they cry out, Hosanna to the son of David. We see a fulfillment of this prophecy. They're recognizing. Remember 2 Samuel, we went through this in the meta-narrative, but the 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, God makes this covenant with King David and he says, you're going to have one of your descendants is going to rule on the throne forever. And ever since that point, the people of Israel, they are looking for this coming king, this son of David, this one who will rule forever. And they recognize this man, Hosanna to the son of David, Jesus as a son of David. They're excited. The king is here. And they have their sights set on a temporal king who will meet their temporal's, temporal desires. This king, if he were to do what they wanted, so picture Jerusalem, he's marching in. This king, fulfilling their temporal desires, is going to march in, and what's he going to do? He's going to go straight to the governor's palace. He's going to take care of Pilate. He's going to throw out the Roman authorities, and they're going to set up their nice Jewish nation. They're going to have Jerusalem back. Israel is going to come back. This is what they want. Go, let's, let's go take care of the Romans. But it's not where Jesus goes. If you've got your Bible still in Matthew chapter 21, you can see instead of going to the governor's palace, Jesus goes to the temple. And instead of throwing out the Roman authorities, he throws out the religious authorities. He throws out those who thought they knew all about God. He doesn't go to clean up the governor's house. He goes to clean up God's house. Jesus enters Jerusalem and goes to the temple not to pray, not to offer sacrifices, but to clean house. He's cleaning up the people of God. The king is coming not to fix oppression from temporal forces, but to clean up the mess between God and and mankind. You see the picture here? You see the difference between what you would think a king is going to come in? All right, we're excited. The king is here. Look at all these things we got for him to do. And he shows up and he goes to the temple and he cleans it out and he's handling issues different than what you expected. And we come to find out Jesus, this different kind of king, is coming to handle the issues that need addressed most. Not these temporal things, but these issues between a fallen mankind and a holy God. This is a different kind of king. When we think of Palm Sunday, we should think of a king riding in and accomplishing his kingly mission. And make no mistake, Holy Week is not like, oh man, this really went bad. You ever kind of have that thinking? Jesus comes in as this king and by the next Sunday, he's going to have been crucified and buried, and then we're going to celebrate his resurrection from the dead. But you, it's, it's tempting to look at Holy Week and be like, boy, this goes south pretty fast, doesn't it? It's this great, you know, this king shows up, and boy, he's really on top of the world. And then, boy, it just falls off. Jesus' mission does, fails, we, it would appear. But no, the king is accomplishing his mission. Jesus has proved his sovereignty all through the Gospels and the events of this final week are no exception. Jesus is the King of Kings and he is fulfilling his mission. But we must admit, it is not the accomplishing of the mission like they or like we would have expected. Jesus shows up 
and he conquers the greater foe. It's important that we see this. Jesus shows up, rides in as the king, and all these expectations, and Jesus shows up and he conquers the greater foe for these people. They had a greater enemy than anything Rome or any other temporal thing life could throw at them. And the enemy was this, their own indwelling sin. They had set up rules and rituals and convinced themselves that they were the religious elite. They were earning God's favor. They were earning by their own effort their reward from God. But Jesus wipes out that reality, right? Their temple, he goes to the temple and he says, all these things you're doing, they're worthless. Money changers, is a den of thieves. And he throws this all out. All your works are accomplishing nothing. He throws all these things aside. Jesus wipes it all out. He turned, they had turned the house of God into a den of thieves. Their biggest problem was not Roman oppression. It was their own indwelling sin. And that they as sinners were sitting under the just wrath of God. Which is what makes this different kind of king showing up such good news. This is great news that a different kind of king is showing up than what they wanted. Jesus, from a commentary, Jesus had the credentials. He had convinced them that he was the Messiah. They just didn't understand the nature of his Messiahship. They knew he was the king. They just didn't understand the nature of his kingdom. Like people today and people in all times who want Jesus, but they want the Jesus of their own devising. They want the Jesus of their own invention. They want the Jesus who walks in and says, I'm going to solve all your problems. I'm going to deliver you from all your enemies. I'm going to make life wonderful you, wonderful for you. They don't want the Jesus who, having come into the city, immediately takes a whip and cleans up their dirty house. He didn't come and overthrow Rome. He came and overthrew the temple. Going on, commentator says, he was saying to them, You don't need Roman bondage broken. You need sin bondage broken. You don't need to solve your problem with Rome. You need to solve your problem with God. And that is why this different kind of king rides into Jerusalem. He was not the Jesus who comes to offer a cure-all for external ills. He was the Jesus who comes to offer men and women peace with God eternally, internally and eternally. This is great news. So the reason why spending this time seeing that the king they expected was not the king they thought they were getting, but he was a far better king. The reason, if this, is, this is great news, and it's good to see them go through this because we have to ask ourselves, what kind of king are we looking for? What kind of king are you looking for? When we show up and we've got, we've got our list of things, I'd like Jesus to do this. I'd like Jesus to do this. I'd like God to take care of this. I'd like to fix this and this and this. And some of these things would even be good things. We'd want our king to overthrow the things that oppress us most. We wanted to make sure we have enough money. We want to make sure we have good health. That we have relationships that never have any difficulty. That he answers all of our questions and doubts. That he takes care of all these awful things that happen in life. You want him to fix every temporal thing to be just the way that we'd like it to be. But as they learned, they learned, we learn as well, Jesus is a different type of king. He's a different type of king. Not fixing all these external ills, but something different. And I want to stress this. He's a different kind of king Because he is a far better king. 
When, we see, when I say Jesus is a different kind of king, I don't mean there's kings that saw these external ills and Jesus does, does something different. All these kings we could accomplish and gather to fix all these external problems of our lives. Jesus is a different kind of king. He is a far, far, far better king. If this king, if any king we could find, were to fix all of these temporal problems, so, you know, what do you want your king to do? And if you could find a king that could fix all of these temporal problems but would leave you dead in your sins, you would have gained nothing. If you can find a king, can guarantee you all the money that you want, can guarantee you perfect health for all the rest of your life, can guarantee that every friendship and relationship you have is always nothing but flowers and roses and beautiful forever, and yet at the end of it all, they could not solve the problem of your indwelling sin, your enmity with the creator, the one who has created you, you will have gained nothing from that king. Jesus is a different king, and he's a far better king. Because this big issue we have, this is the one that he comes to solve. He saves the lost, Luke 19.10. He serves by giving his life as a ransom for many, Mark 10.45. This king comes and he lays his life down for his sheep, John 10.11. So the question, the, the question comes to us from Jesus in Matthew 26. When he puts it this way, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world Yet forfeits, yet forfeits his soul. What does it gain a person? If he gains, what does it profit a person? If he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul. I don't want to move too quickly from that. I want you th- because our knee-jerk reaction is, I mean, can we, I, I, want, a, I want lots of gain here. <laughs> our knee-jerk reaction, what profit is if we gain the whole world? Well, in our knee-jerk reaction is what profit is it it's a lot of profit. Are you kidding me? To have everything go wonderful for my whole life, that's a lot of profit. But Jesus contrasts it and he says, what profit is it if you gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? What if the king you're serving can give you, deliver on all your external goods, can deliver and everything for the rest of your life and yet at the end of it all has done you nothing to solve your sin problem? Have you really gained? No. No, Jesus doesn't let that get in his way that we don't see this. He knows the greatest hurdle for humanity is not some external opposition, but an indwelling condition. If you find a king who delivers you from all the external comforts and desire, who delivers to you all the external comforts and desires you want, yet cannot cleanse you before a holy and righteous God, when your life like the grass fades away, your king will have done you no good. Your king will have done you no good. But Jesus is a different kind of king. He's a far better king. He's the king who rides in and he solves the biggest problem we have. Jesus shows up and he, he lives the life that we should have lived. Jesus shows up born never as without sin his entire life, earns the righteous declaration of God. He gets to the end of it all, and Jesus says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. He goes, and what does he do with that righteousness? He takes it to a cross, and he's crucified. And the wrath that is towards us, the condemnation that is due towards us is laid upon Jesus. He is crushed with the crushing that we deserve. And when all that is done, as he hangs on the cross, he cries out, it is is finished it is finished 
This king who has come, who rides in a different kind of king, fulfills the work that he was sent to do. This king, righteous and bringing salvation is he, like our text says, delivers on his mission. Delivers on his mission. So for all of our asking, what kind of a king do we want? Jesus shows up and makes us think about what kind of a king do we need? What kind of a king do we need? What kind of a king do we need? We need one who rescues us from the greatest enemy, which is our sin-filled selves. This is the different kind of king King Jesus is. Do we know him as this kind of king? Do you know him as this kind of king? This one who comes to deliver you from the enmity that is between you and God, the wrath that God has towards sinners. All have sinned, Romans 3.23. The CYF kids are memorizing it. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. This enmity that exists between you and God. What happens? A different kind of king comes along. Lives the life you should have lived. Dies the death that you deserve. So that through repentance and faith, you can be forgiven of this sin. And this king, this different kind of king, becomes your king. He becomes your salvation. He becomes your reconciliation to your creator. This king also is coming again. This king who's ridden into Jerusalem, who now is ascended and is seated at the right hand of God the Father, is coming. And one day, all these external ills will be gone. This king is coming again. The crown that is his, he will wear in full authority. And the brokenness that we ache over in this life, the brokenness that we ache over, will finally and fully be put away. And this king will reign forever on a new heavens and a new earth. And all who are his will enjoy this day because it's free from sin and sorrow and suffering. But they will enjoy them as that day as, and with those benefits as they are byproducts of the joy that he is in and of himself. There is a, a consummating coronation, this March into Jerusalem, Jesus did there on Palm Sunday. He will come again on a horse. He will come again as the victor. He will come again as the king of kings. There is a consummation. There is a coronation all the way on, on the way for us. Do we know this king? Do we shout and sing, Hosanna, blessed is the name. Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. He has come. He has entered He has fulfilled his mission and he's calling. He's calling to us this morning to worship this king. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the work of your son. The mission that he accomplished. As we see this king marching in, God, I pray that you would enliven us to see the joy that there is in this king entering into Jerusalem to fulfill his mission so that sinners, so that I can be forgiven of my transgressions, reconciled back to you, forgiven, washed white as snow, and enjoy full fellowship with you from now till eternity. God, may it be our hope and our joy in this place this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen.